Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Pete Finn and this is the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast. And on this podcast, we are returning to a theme, uh, country that we've looked at quite a bit over the last year and a half on the project. And we've done so with my colleague over at um, the Frankfurt School of Finance and Management and the Schiller University Heidelberg, as well as Frankfurt Goethe University, um, Dr. Robert Ledger. I'm not, with all those affiliations, not sure how Rob sleeps, but he does somehow. <laughs> Rob's been involved with writing about Germany for the project on a report which was published about a year ago. And that's the reason why we're recording this episode, as well as episodes for all of the other chapters in that report. He's, regular listeners will know he's been on the podcast um, quite a bit. And he's also the author of two books, Neoliberal Thought and Thatcherism, Transition from Here to There, and Power and Political Economy from Thatcher to Blair, The Great Enemy of Democracy, which uh, Rob can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think was just published this year. Um, and they were both published by Routledge. And earlier in the summer, myself and Rob, as well as our colleague Madison Imiola of the um, Washington State Human Rights Commission also published Pandemic Politics, COVID-19 and the US and the 2020 US cycle. Um, so welcome to the podcast again, Rob. Thank you very much and thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Just before we dive into the details of Germany, um, so um, I'm guessing most listeners to this podcast are kind of political nerds. So <laughs> uh, we'll know that there's a cabinet reshuffle happening today. So today's the 15th of September to, uh, 2021. And so Boris Johnson has pulled the trigger finally on his long trailed um, cabinet reshuffle. Mainly like it was long trailed because it was like the slow death of <laughs> the tenure of Gavin Williams and his education secretary. There's always one that gets trailed and it was, it was his turn this time. So Rob, what are the main kind of, it's early days, but what are the kind of main takeaways from the reshuffle this afternoon? Well, the, um, the three names that seem to be um, kind of trailed as potentially being sacked or kind of completely sacked from the cabinet or be moved around were Gavin Williamson, who who has um, got the chop, so to speak, um, and also Pretty Patel, but she's been left in place. Um, although perhaps she kind of does a job in so far as kind of the kind of right wing anti-immigration stuff probably does a job for, for Boris Johnson and the, the more right wing um, uh, media um, and also Dominic Raab and that seems to be quite an interesting one because the the things I was looking at on um, social media suggest that there was maybe a maybe a bit of a a set to a, a prolonged um, prolonged talks about whether he was going to move where he was going to move to um, so that was quite interesting but he's he has been moved from foreign secretary to uh, to Justice Secretary plus a couple of other uh, things. I mean, my first impression was it seems to still be pretty right wing, but maybe that's because all the Conservative MPs in the Parliament at the, at the moment are pretty right wing. Um, I don't know what what, what were your um, thoughts. Um, yeah, I thought so. I think one of the most interesting moves is Michael Gove to. Like, mm. It's kind of been sort of minister for the union and a community secretary right and it sort of like in general that's not a particularly high profile role right but I mean Michael Gove is no I mean he's a hugely high profile 
Tory um, and UK politician. I think it feels like that's a strategic move. So he's in place. They've got like a big beast, so to speak, um, of the party in place to deal with the issues around Scotland and the coming sort of fight or never-ending fight, it seems, around independence. So I think that was that's quite interesting. Yeah, and he's, I mean, even though what he does isn't often very popular, I'm thinking in particular when he was um, in the education um, ministry, um, I think he's considered quite effective in kind of pursuing and of carrying out policy and I was also interested in the um the housing element because that seems to be a pretty key insofar as you know maybe keeping red wall seats or um whether he, that would potentially alienate conservative voters in other parts of the country um if there's a lot of house building so that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out and in terms of the union yeah I mean in some respects it's not a not a bad, maybe it's one of the only moves that um, this particular Conservative government or constellation of, of um, MPs can make because perhaps he's, he's got an argument that might you know, tip the balance perhaps in, uh, in Scotland, at least to make uh, a referendum look maybe not so uh, clear cut and you know, deter the SNP from trying to call one maybe. Yeah, sure. And I also thought I don't know what you think about this. It feels like Nadine Zadawi is probably like he was the vaccine minister, um, mm. or like I don't think that was his official title, but basically <laughs> that's what he got called for the last year. Um, and it feels like he's been rewarded for the like the undoubtedly successful UK vaccine um, rollout by being made education minister. That was that sort of feels like that we replaced Gavin Williamson um, in that regard. Yeah, and he he seems to be one of the, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, a uh, few members of the cabinet that seems to be a safe pair of hands. So, um, yeah, definitely rewarded for the kind of vaccine rollout. And uh, you know, maybe that's kind of improved the situation of the, of the cabinet, bringing him into a more high profile uh, position. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I guess maybe after Gallup, like, I mean, Listeners can go back to many episodes and hear uh, discussions of Gavin Williamson and education from numerous guests, um, and like the kind of the some of the mistakes or U-turns or I mean, in fairness, it's been a high-pressure role, but still, some of the kind of lack of foresight um, around Gavin Williamson's work over the last year and a half has has caused much consternation. Okay, all right, thanks, Rob, um, and so let's turn now to um, what we're here generally to discuss, which is Germany. Um, and so for those listeners who perhaps um, are not that familiar with the German kind of constitution and political system, can you just briefly introduce it um, for listeners? So Germany is a federal system um, and the upcoming elections are for the federal parliament. Um, and it's a mixed proportional system. So you get more or less half the MPs are from the local constituencies, first past the post system, and about half are from proportionality and there's regional lists for those uh, representatives. But it is a devolved system. So you've got 16 states and there's quite a lot of uh, power that's dissolved, uh, sorry, not dissolved, uh, devolved to the, to the states. <laughs> and, um, 
And so that's quite interesting in, in the, the, the German example, and it's been quite important during the pandemic. So uh, more power at the, at the state level, at the regional level. Um, it's interesting, this election, because the incumbent, the very long-standing incumbent, Angela Merkel, the chancellor, is standing down. So it's gonna be a new chancellor um, after these elections in September, on September the 26th, um, and probably, a new coalition arrangement, so probably different parties in government. Uh, the German system always lends itself to um, coalitions because of its uh, proportional uh, proportionality. Okay, great. And just to say, like, if, if listeners are interested, me and Rob recorded an episode about five, five or six weeks ago now, that we go into much more detail about some of the um, complicated machinations of the German system. And um, I, I've listened to the episode a few times, and I think I've just about started to get my head around it. But suffice to say, it is quite a complicated electoral system. Um, okay, so before we dive into the details of where we are now, how has Germany coped overall over the last kind of year and a half with with the pandemic? I'd split the. Um, the German response into three phases. The first one and the third one were pretty competent, I think, or in relative terms anyway. And the second one was a bit shakier. So the first one was at the start of the pandemic until about last autumn, last October. Um, cases were relatively low, but in particular, um, fatalities in Germany were, were um, quite low. And I think a, a few things were, um, attributed to this, it's a devolved system, sort of testing, um, a kind of um, limited lockdown. It was a lockdown, but it wasn't sort of as, as strict as some countries. And so it was a relatively moderate path, I think, and some quite, um, I would say, technocratic figures in government to kind of guide this through, which, which may be um, a strength. Um, during the pandemic. The second phase from about October until Easter this year was not so good. It was a very long lockdown, stricter than the first one. And the cases didn't ever seem to go down. In fact, most of the time they seem to be slowly rising, um, which caused a bit of understandable disquiet among the population, which seemed to increase when uh, Germany was slow to, to roll out the vaccine. Um, in, in the new year in 2021. So that was a kind of second phase, a bit shakier. But then since April, it seems to have got back on track. The vaccine was rolled out suddenly very quickly and accelerated. The cases went down, opening began. And now we seem to be in a kind of a steady state. So there is a rise in cases because of the Delta variant, but it doesn't seem to have kind of really taken off currently. We've got about 60% of the population vaccinated, um, although this is stagnating a little bit. I think like a lot of countries are struggling to kind of push that up um, to a high level to 70, 70% plus of the population. And the kind of view of the government seems to have kind of um, settled down a bit. You know, there's, there's not as many protests, there's not as much kind of uh, um, unha unhappiness in the, in the media and in the, in the political discourse. So um, yeah, kind of insofar as um, Germany's cope with the pandemic, probably not bad compared to um, contemporary 
countries, although it has been a little bit bumpy at times. Okay, sure. And just to um, kind of put that in some kind of statistical context for listeners, um, Germany is at about 110 deaths per 100,000, which is around about half of where the, so for instance, the US and the UK are both just about 200. So that kind of illustrates where the kind of the, those strengths around keeping death, death low, despite sometimes high cases. Um, has, has come out in Germany. Uh, in terms of the politics of the pandemic at present, how is that? I mean, you already mentioned that, that there's elections coming up. They're just uh, in about 11 days time now, I guess 10 days by the time the podcast comes out. Um, so, and Angela Merkel is standing down. What, what is the current state of play around German politics? Well, from the first year or so of the, the pandemic, really until kind of the new year this year, um, the CDU, the Conservative Angela Merkel's party, um, the lead partner in the coalition, were really holding up in the opinion polls. So 35%, even slightly higher at certain times. But then when things started to go um, downhill at the beginning of this year, when the vaccine rollout was slow, it, the, the government lost support. And since then, the kind of political uh, support for the government and the various parties in the opinion polls leading up to this election have really been all over the place. We, we saw the, the Greens take uh, a kind of short-lived lead in the polls in April. Um, and then, I mean, amazing, really, the SPD, uh, the Social Democratic Centre-Left Party, who seemed kind of stagnating around kind of 15 to 20% for, for years in Germany, have suddenly surged in the polls. And as things stand, could well lead the next government. They're around 25%. The CDU's almost lost half of its um, support in the, the polls. It's around 20%. And the Greens have fallen down to kind of 15, 16%. The, F, uh, the FDP, which is the Free Democrat Party, um, slipped back uh, early in the pandemic. They seem to be against lockdowns, against a lot of the restrictions. They've actually made a little bit of a comeback in recent months, and they could be important in coalition negotiations, potentially because conservative voters from the CDU are potentially going to vote for the Free Democrats. Um, so it's really up in the air at the moment. Apparently, I was reading today that there's a lot of undecided voters. So where the opinion polls are today could look quite different from the actual result. Although, another pandemic related thing, there's not going to be a lot of postal votes this time, potentially around 60%. So maybe a lot of the votes have already been cast. Um, so really interesting and, and kind of every day looking at the opinion polls uh, presents different possibilities from where this um, election might lead in terms of an, uh, the next government. For sure. And um, I, in, in the last episode we did, I actually made a little bit of fun out of the, uh, the, the competence for Deutschland slogan, which is of the FDD. I even turned it into the name of the podcast and it apparently has appeared to be a very popular slogan. Um, maybe that reflects the kind of more sober nature of the German political system. <laughs> I, thought well, it was, um... <laughs> I thought it was a terrible slogan, but maybe not. <laughs> 
I saw something the other day that said this is the kind of the golden era or the kind of um, the comeback of the German political poster, which I thought, well, that's an interesting comment, considering the kind of the standard of posters that are out there. <laughs> but also that perhaps that charisma is not a selling point for German politicians. So it's kind of this is uh, the, the less charisma you've got, potentially, the, the more uh, uh, votes you might get. And. Armin Laschet, who's the, the CDU, the Conservative candidate, is kind of jovial, I mean, not particularly charismatic, but kind of puts himself forward as a kind of jolly, um, you know, backslapping, uh, old school politician. I mean, his um, support seems to have sunk like a stone since he was uh, made the, the Chancellor candidate. And Annalena Baerbock for the Greens, um, I mean, she's not the best uh, speaker in public but I mean you know she's got maybe a different story to tell some different policies to present she's really lost support in recent months Schultz the the SPD the competence for Deutschland uh, guy is just really perhaps I was going to say solid but maybe stolid might be a better word he's kind of doesn't really say much bats off all criticism you know which potentially there's quite a lot of his time in in, um, as finance minister and then the mayor of Hamburg, doesn't really say anything and his support keeps going up in the polls. It's um, it's absolutely fascinating. Is it a bit like a sort of a, well, I mean, he hasn't got a Trumpian figure to go up against, right? But is it a bit like Biden like in, in the States, right? It's sort of, he almost, I mean, the pandemic to a certain extent got in a way of how they run their campaign, but basically they had their narrative, right? Like, we're better than that guy. <laughs> we're competent, right? Which was kind of a a, a, a key part. Like we can run a government. We, we're not going to insult everybody. We <laughs> we won't upset our allies, right? Maybe there's something to it. Yeah, I think that in if the SPD win, you know, if they get the most um, seats, I feel like they won't have won it. But the the CDU and the Greens would have probably lost it, if, if you know what I mean. So I don't think, I mean, I, I can't really tell you many of the SPD's policies. It's just a kind of, you know, mixed bag of kind of centre-left policies. They're a little bit like the watered-down Greens, essentially. Um, so it will be a, a real surprise if the SPD win, but potentially would not bode well for an SPD-led government, if the, the voters kind of lukewarm, kind of a bit better than the other options. Um, yeah, it's, uh, but I mean, there's, when we spoke before about this, and I've made predictions, which definitely won't happen, by the way, um, <laughs> one of the predictions I didn't say was that Olaf Scholz would, would be the, uh, would, would, would win. I thought that was, there's no chance that, that would happen, but uh, it, it could, it could do. Yeah. Okay, and then just before we move on to the kind of next on the list of themes I sent you, um, in the US elections, but like a myriad of reasons, uh, postal ballots became really controversial. Um, and so, I mean, I cast my vote by post in the UK, it's not in the slightest bit controversial. Is it, con and, and in fairness, it's not, wasn't controversial in the States before this election. It was just that particular election cycle and the politics around Donald Trump, really. But we're, it, I presume it was, it's not particularly controversial in Germany? No, no. And um, I think there, you know, you see on the posters, 
for the parties, votes by post, um, you know, sort of encouraging people to take up that option. Um, and I think it's kind of maybe linked to the, the kind of anti-vax, anti-lockdown, anti-restrictions kind of thinking. You do get it in Germany, but it's just much more fringe and much more marginal, I imagine, than in the United States. I mean, in the US, it seems so much more linked to the Republican Party than it, I mean, it would be, say, linked to the AFD, the kind of far-right party here, but because the support for that party is only about 10%, it's still, it's still really fringe. So, no, I, I mean, they say 60%, uh, they're predicting 60% postal votes here, um, and, it, and it's not controversial, as far as I can see, anyway. Okay, all right. Um, and so, in, uh, in, during the response, I mean, obviously there's Angela Merkel, but who else has been um, kind of instrumental in that response over the last kind of year in, the, in Germany? Um, we've got the other kind of leading politicians. So Jens Spahn is the health minister, has been the most prominent uh, member of the government. Um, and he's kind of, he looked very kind of assured to start with. He's, you know, as every other, health minister, I'm sure, across the world has had some shaky moments, but he's kind of, you know, he's still there and he's kind of looking, still looking pretty uh, pretty assured. Um, the finance minister, Olaf Scholz, has, has been relatively prominent in terms of the economic response. Um, the minister presidents, the kind of premiers of the states have been quite prominent because um, of the autonomy they have in making decisions at the regional level and these regular uh, meetings they have between uh, Angela Merkel and the 16 state premiers. And then you've got some prominent experts, the head of the Robert Koch Institute, who's the kind of um, a government agency that looks at um, uh, public health. Uh, he's called Lothar Wieler, he's been quite uh, prominent. And then you've got some more public media figures and the, probably the best known is a, um, a virologist called um, Christian Drosten and he's quite often in the in the press about you know there needs to be another lockdown or the vaccine rollout's going well or not going well so these are the kind of uh, primary figures but more or less they're all singing from the same hymn sheet so to speak you don't see really um, dissenting voices against the, the response to the pandemic. Um, you know, there were perhaps a few at the beginning of this year, but, you know, that's the cast of characters we've seen for the, for the, the length of the pandemic, really. Okay, and would it be sort of fair to assume, so in the UK, for instance, in terms of policies, that there are some sort of, I mean, not even really restrictions, you just have to wear a mask on the tube, but there's no restrictions on where you can go. Um, lots of shops, although it's not kind of legally mandated, will still ask you to wear a mask. Um, and the vaccine has, has gone relatively well. Is it? Is it? So it's a, is it kind of a similar state of play in Germany in that everything seems to be going okay at the moment, but there is the potential for some restrictions to be reimposed if needed over the winter. Uh, yes, um, I mean there still are some restrictions, social distancing measures. Masks are, I mean, they're 
you have to wear them on public transport and a lot of places would um, enforce them. So I think it's a bit stricter here. Um, and they, I mean, there's no talk really about um, removing all the restrictions at the moment. So Germany's a bit more cautious in that respect. In terms of going into um, public buildings, restaurants, concerts, theatres, that kind of thing, hotels, at the moment, there's something called the 3G rule, which potentially they're going to turn into the 2G rule to try and encourage vaccinations to kind of um, be stepped up. And I think that stands for getestet, genesen, and geimpft. So you've either, you've either got to have a test, you've either had, um, recovered from um, uh, COVID, or you need to be vaccinated. So that's the kind of a tagline at the moment they're kind of kind of pushing, but it's it's certainly not as it's more relaxed than it was, but it's certainly not as relaxed, I think, as for instance the UK or the US or or now Denmark and um the Netherlands. Oh, so you haven't had like a big freedom day. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think that in the the general population, I think they're get the impression they're a bit more cautious um, than, you know, potential, I mean, I, I'm just guessing, but potentially in Britain, um, and particularly in, in the US. So even if they did remove all the restrictions, I imagine to see a lot of Germans still following social distancing rules and wearing masks, um, just because I get the impression that there's, you know, there's, there's still a lot of caution out there. Okay. Um, and Turning to kind of how the pandemic has impacted different types of groups, different sections of society, are there any particularly groups that have, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say anyone's done well during the pandemic, right? <laughs> but how has, well, I suppose unless you invested in like Amazon in 2019, um, but how has, are there particular groups that have fared badly in Germany? I think we, um, I think last time I mentioned there was some um, maybe poorer neighbourhoods that had been, um, there'd been some uh, press reports about, you know, in particular kind of um, struggling when, because there's a lot of tower blocks in Germany, there's less sort of standalone housing. And so some tower blocks were completely shut down um, which was obviously difficult for people to get to work and shopping and so on. So that was, um, th there were a few of those um, highlighted. However, there hasn't been as much of that recently. The one thing I maybe would point out is that we begin to see a few strikes in Germany um, over pay increases, over, for instance, uh, the uh, Deutsche Bahn, the, the, the train um company uh, employees and drivers I think it's drivers at the moment are asking for um, pandemic bonuses because of the difficult conditions they've been working through um, and so there's a little bit maybe kind of economic things going on at the moment and, and groups saying you know we've had a tough time during this pandemic and you know maybe we want um, recognition for that so there's a maybe that's going on at the moment. Okay, and so turning externally, I just wonder, do you have any kind of sense how 
how the German response is, is viewed, say, I suppose, within within Europe, right, with the immediate German is seen, it's certainly the most powerful nation in the EU, although maybe the French state would, <laughs> would challenge you on that, but I don't think many others would. Um, how How is Germany viewed kind of externally? I think generally for the other countries in the EU and at the EU level, it was seen as kind of, you know, a relatively good example in its response. And actually, at the EU level, Germany has stuck pretty close. I mean, from the political side of things, it's, I suppose it's a bit easier to coordinate, or you can imagine the coordination between Ursula von der Leyen as head of the EU Commission and Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel's kind of one of her um, kind of political boosters. Um, so Germany, I think, has been working relatively closely at the EU level. Um, Germany's not particularly controversial in many of the kind of responses to the pandemic. But again, an interesting change has been its economic response, whereas in previous crises, Germany's been kind of viewed negatively in um, not wanting to kind of you know, be involved initially or being a bit um, on the fence about bailouts, about conditions for bailouts, um, about mutualizing debt, this kind of thing. But actually the, the economic response this time, Germany seems to be quite un-German um, in participating in the, you know, the huge recovery fund and not really being a holdout in, in those terms. So it's been relatively unremarkable compared to the previous um, EU crises. And the next chancellor, if that's Armin Laschet or Olaf Scholz, is probably going to be moving more in a kind of pro-Brussels or pro-EU, or even, dare I say, a pro-Macron direction. Um, so Germany's, uh, uh, yeah, it's not hasn't really done anything particularly um, controversial. And it was one of the kind of leaders of the uh, EU-wide vaccine rollout. He didn't want to go it alone. Um, so that was another thing that kind of infuriated the German media. And I should say probably a lot of uh, Germans at the beginning of this year, but probably viewed from the outside, it was seen as a kind of quotation marks, good European. Okay, great. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's true, right? If you think back to kind of 2014, 2015, you know, the height of the Greek crisis. I mean, that there was almost like two counter narratives of the future of the EU and there were huge, huge tensions. Okay, and so to wrap up, are there, say, I mean, we've got some hindsight now, looking back over a year and a half, um, we can maybe start to make some tentative um, sort of summations of events. How are there lessons that we can take from events in Germany and the German response um, that might be relevant elsewhere? And that could be kind of during the next wave when <laughs> a new variant comes or during another crisis um, in the future? I think Germany's strength insofar as its policy response has been, it's been relatively cautious and relatively moderate. It hasn't swung from everything's got to be locked down, no one can leave their houses, you need permission to kind of, you know, go out to Freedom Day kind of uh, thing. It's been relatively um, 
collegiate in, insofar as its political uh, leaders. And I think that reflects the German political system, um, but also its um, devolved uh, governance. And I think I, th I might have mentioned this on one of the other podcasts that for me, that seems to be a strength of, of the German response, the devolved nature, whether it was the testing in the early phase, it's kind of the, the compromises it's had to make between the kind of uh, the state and the federal level, and also the autonomy that some of the state leaders have had. Um, on the other hand, Germany is quite unique insofar as it's kind of central government's economic firepower. It's you know, the amount of money that it can spend on economic support and fiscal stimulus is, is quite unique in its neighborhood within the EU, but also you know, compared to countries like uh, the UK, Germany can suddenly spend all this money that it's been setting aside over 10 years of, of uh, uh, budget surpluses. So it is a bit unique in that sense, but certainly a kind of strong central government in terms of the economic response, political moderation, and devolved decision-making at various points have probably been the, the, uh, the German strengths. Um, I mean, moderation in, in general, because even though it has had um, uh, politics which have opposed its you know, uh, general approach, it's still relatively you know, fringe. The, po the populist party, the AFD has been sat at 10% for kind of, for years, it doesn't seem to kind of, you know, so far it hasn't had a surge in popularity because of the pandemic or for any other reason. And you'll get these central, um, the center parties, the Greens, the, uh, the Free Democrats, the Social Democrats and the Conservatives, they're still gonna take a massive chunk of the votes um, on September the 26th. So I suppose it does have a few uh, systemic advantages as well as the kind of individual decisions that it's made. Sorry, that was a longer. That's fine. Answer. Very good. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll put it, we, we'll put, release the transcript. <laughs> Send it to uh, Times Radio. We, we clip that for you. Clip, clip the best parts for, you, for, your, for your, your bulletins on tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so before we wrap up, is there any kind of final points or reflections you wanted to make? Um, or did you slot them all into that? <laughs> I think I've probably uh, yeah, said, said my piece on that last bit. Although, going back to the election, I think at this stage, anything can happen. And I think that this is going to be so interesting uh, to see what happens in a couple of weeks. And probably Germany is going to be looking at a three-party coalition, which is quite unique, and negotiations are going to take ages. So um, in terms of the pandemic response, probably for a few months after the election, Angela Merkel is still going to be making the decision in the kind of caretaker government. So that's a, a few of months. Potentially. I mean, the last one, which was the grand coalition of the CDU and the SPD, um, took several months. And because of the third party in there probably, and the discussions about kind of fiscal policy and tax and public spending are gonna be really convoluted, particularly when it comes to the climate and infrastructure, um, that could be very tricky. And I think, you know, they'll have done well if they'll um, have 
uh, agreed a government by Christmas if it's three parties. If it's two parties, it could be different, but um, so it could be pretty drawn out. So Angela Merkel probably will be signing off on the, the pandemic related decisions for a few months to come, I think. Oh, right, well, so we're not even, we're, we're, I thought we we're in the twilight of Merkel area. I mean, it seems like the, certainly the sun's just going down now, twilight's, uh, twilight's like November. Um, okay, all right, thanks so much again for coming on. Talk to us, Rob, and um, that was really very interesting indeed. It's a pleasure, thanks for having me.